more than that, I mean, there were some great things that happened, and I'll talk about that uh, later on, what happened on backpacking, complete with the Dans and uh, and the J girls, Juliana and Jordan, and uh, but um, every now and then, like like every five, maybe ten years, uh, with me, I get uh, some um, understanding of something in the kingdom of God that um, hits me hard and impacts everything that I think about. And the last one, uh, before the one I'm going to tell you about tonight, is, um, and they're usually really simple. You would look into my head and think, duh, you know. Like, like 10 years ago-ish, I was struck by, really uh, moved by, the love of God, which many of you might say, yeah, <laughs> God <laughs> loves us. But but to me, it was seeing the passage, and I've talked about this in the past, but, but that it's almost like God shined a big light on the passage where Moses uh, asks the Lord to see his glory. And God defines his glory by what he announces about himself, saying, the Lord, the Lord, uh, abounding in loving kindness, abounding in patience. And and when I thought to myself how God could have defined himself in any way at that moment, and he chose to define it as uh, him being loving and kind and abounding in patience, um, it, it transformed me in a way where I do not doubt uh, at all the fundamental you know, stand firm on the loving kindness of God. It was that transformative. And so I, I've had a, another one I want to share with you tonight. Um, and I'll just, I'll just say um, that I have found the secret to happiness. That that's, nice job. That, <laughs> and, and when I tell you, you'll think, you'll think well, duh. But, but again, it was one of these things that has kind of hit me, and, and um, in this case, um, even though I'm hoping to be able to defend that, it, that, it's, that this, this secret is valid and true, I, when I first encountered it, I sort of uh, took it as almost like a hypothesis or like a model. How does it apply in this situation? Does it fit there? Yes, it fits there. How about here? How does it fit there? How does it, okay, what about this scripture? Does it fit there? And and so far, uh, it it is uh, it is that fundamental um, to what I'm thinking. So, are you happy? You ask yourself, are you happy? And, and answer that question in your head, because your answer might be yes. Uh, it, it might be it might be no. It might be I would be if it weren't for blank, or I would be if only blank, or you know I, I would be if I just had another twenty pounds you know off, or, or if I had this boyfriend or that girlfriend or this husband or this wife or these children or my children were doing something different or whatever. Um, work would just lighten up, you know whatever circumstance you know whatever that I would be, then then I would be happy. Um, you know, then, then you're you're not unusual. <laughs> you're, you're like you're like everybody uh, in that case. Um, but I've been asking, what is the source of happiness? Uh, because we just had the Fourth of July, and Fourth uh, of July is where we celebrate the Declaration of Independence. And in there, we learned that that this country, uh, hey, 
This, this country was founded with certain inalienable rights, rights that cannot be lost, rights that are fundamental to what it means to be human. Life is one of those rights. We have a right to life, right? And that's why the abortion movement is so uh, inherent in, in uh, our relationship with the Lord. There is a, there, and there, but, but not, just, uh, not just the unborn. Everyone has this inalienable right. We have an inalienable right to liberty, life, liberty, um, meaning freedom within the constraints, etc. You can't shout fire in a theater, but but uh, but we have this inalienable, unlosable, uh, fundamental to being human right. And in our Declaration of Independence, we have the right to pursue happiness. It's so unusual, really, for a country to have. That is their third mentioned inalienable right, um, and we just we just celebrated. I was looking uh, looking into that a little bit about how that came to be. Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. He wrote it in a very wordy fashion. He submitted it to this group of five people, including Benjamin Franklin, that reviewed it and kind of edited it. But but throughout those editing processes, a real fast editing process, pursuit of happiness was preserved. And some some say uh, some. Historians say that what was meant there was was not that it, that everyone gets to pursue, as in seek after happiness, but that but the right, the fundamental right, is to actually achieve happiness. Um, and so my my question is, how are we doing? And the answer is not well. <laughs> I mean, our, our in other words, how's this country doing? I looked at I looked up. I mean, just thinking about how I would try and present what what I. Think I've learned. Um, I've been looking into like you know different data sources. One of which is a poll taken from from Americans about are you happy? How happy is America? They've been taking a poll. The University of Chicago has been taking a poll um, uh, for over 50 years, and the uh, as of um, I want to say 2018, uh, only 14% of Americans say that they're happy. 14%. Um, the highest it's ever been is around 35% of, of Americans responding to this poll saying that they are happy. And I don't know how they answered the, asked the question, I don't know what question they asked, but, but just in terms of a, a valid, you know, socially, scientifically done poll, around, say right now, 14%, and, and, and this, this article was like, and it's probably worse now after COVID and after the economic downturn, et cetera, where, where, where things are impacting that, um, but uh, but but we're not we're not doing well. Um, uh, oh, another poll by Harris um, said that the highest happiness index was thirty five percent in two thousand eight two thousand nine. By the way, those were recession years. Um, so uh, when we ask what is the source of happiness, we're believers. We're in a church. We can't glibly say it's Jesus. Uh, Jesus is not the source of happiness. Uh, and that, that's shocking to say, but I'm, I'll just tell you statistically that 70% of the people in this country, 70% say that they are Christians. They have a relationship with Jesus, but only 14% of this country is happy. Therefore, there is a disconnect between what people are saying uh, in terms of their connection with Jesus and the actual source of happiness. And, and so... Uh, I mean, Jesus has everything to do with being happy. I, I would maintain and I would tell anybody that you cannot be happy without it. But 
Uh, there is a massive disconnect in this country. There's a massive disconnect, perhaps, with people even in this room between the 70% who acknowledge uh, who acknowledges they are Christians, to whatever degree that is, and the 14% who actually uh, say that they're happy. Um, uh, so some preliminaries. I, I know I've had the teaching the same as you guys about the difference between joy and happiness, that, that happiness is ephemeral, joy is really deep-seated, um, that, that, it's, that happiness is fleeting, joy is everlasting, happiness depends on circumstances, joy is a gift of God. I, I, I know that, and, and I, I think that's right. It's just that's, that's not my point tonight. So when, I, uh, when I'm talking about happiness, I'm talking about kind of a combination and really, when you look in the scriptures, when you look in uh, the scriptures for joy and happiness, they, they oftentimes are the same same word, the, the same thought. Sometimes they are they are expressed in the same uh, what do you call it, a couplet of, of verses, like in in Psalms. But but just check out uh, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, um, "Blessed are the peacemakers." That word "blessed" is translated "blessed" most often, but the second most often it's translated "happy." It means happy are you, happy are the peacemakers, happy are the poor in spirit, happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's the same word. It doesn't say joyful. And so I, I'm just saying that uh, I, 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 bouncing around in my head, same as bouncing around your head, is, is this distinction. Well, in a way, uh, we can be joyful and not necessarily be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just like that. I'm just talking about being happy and being, and being joyful and being sort of, uh, being sort of like really firmly contented, uh, call it that. You're really, really uh, settled in your spirit that that that, that you are uh, beloved and you are accepted and and uh, and that things are are uh, right with you long term. Um, so uh, I wanted to hit that. Oh, oh I was going to say there's a, there's different types of joy. There's different types of happiness. There is a joy that comes from the world. Um, like the freeing pleasures of sin that's talked about in Hebrews 11, uh, 25. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that at all. And I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to deceive myself by redefining words either. I, uh, but I remember, um, how many people have seen The Princess Bride? Hopefully many of you. There's a book called The Princess Bride. We've read it uh, in my family uh, a couple of times, and it's, it's better than the movie. Um, it's at least the first part. The second part gets a little weird. But if you can start in the first part and just get most of the most of the movie, it's really fantastic. And when they describe Inigo Montoya, the sword, he was a swordsman, right? They, he, they have this paragraph I've always loved, um, and I think about it often. It says, um, this is in the book, they're describing Inigo Montoya, and they said, as to Inigo Montoya's personal life, but he was always a trifle hungry. He had no brothers or sisters and his mother died in childbirth. Here's my line, so, and then, and then this line. So he, he was just always hungry, had no brothers or sisters, and his mother died in childbirth. He was fantastically happy. <laughs> I just love that sentence. To be fantastically happy. I've been fantastically happy a few times in my life, not consistently, but I love that the author chose that. Amigo was fantastically happy because of his father. His father is funny-looking, crotchety, impatient, absent-minded, never smiled. Anigo loved him totally. Don't ask why. There really wasn't any reason you could put your finger on. Oh, probably his father loved him back, but love is many things. None of them logical. Um, 
So uh, I just love that sense because it, it hits me as, as a really desirable state of mind. Um, uh, so whatever standard we're going to find out about what, what the secret of happiness is, it has to meet certain standards. It, it has to apply to everyone, regardless of health, regardless of, regardless of age, regardless of how vigorous you are, it, it has to apply to the, to the Ironman triathlete and to the bedridden. Both, both have to be able to uh, use this trait in, in order to achieve happiness. It has to apply independence of, independent of money, marital status, uh, what era you're in, first century, 20th century, 21st century, what family line you're in. It has to apply to all those things. It has to be broad-based. It can't be something that you can only assign to the rich or only assign to those who are gainfully employed. Um, and it can't violate scripture. Uh, scripture is, is the, uh, in fact, what it should be is connect Scripture. What, what it should be is, is connect those things together so that when you look at it, you, you start to be able to connect the dots between should, uh, certain Scriptures. And so it should be a grid, uh, like, like I say, where you can place it over Scripture and find that, that it overwhelmingly holds true. Um, so to start with, here's a proposition. Um, God is a God of pleasure. Um, that might sound funny if you've never heard that before, but, but it's true. Mm -hmm. he, in other words, he does nothing except what pleases him. And so he, he only does those things that, that he is pleased by. And th this, is, whoops, sorry. Um, this is out of Psalm uh, uh, 135. Um, uh, oops. Let me turn my page to try this. Oh, Psalm 135. Um, that psalm begins, praise the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, and then, um, and then in verse 3, the psalmist says, now here, here's why you should praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Um, and it goes on until it comes to verse 6, and it says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the depths. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Psalm 115 says exactly the same thing. Our God is in the heavens, he does what he pleases. He, he is a God who doesn't have any deficiency. Ephesians and 1 Timothy says the same thing. 1 Timothy 1.1 uh, says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, also translated according to the gospel of the happy God, which I have been entrusted, Timothy, I give you the following. Um, so he's always been exuberantly happy. Even before there were any human beings, God has been overflowingly happy in his love for the Son. He's never been lonely. He's never been impacted or restricted in any way. He doesn't have lack. We're different. We have lack. <laughs> we have deficiency. We, we have this void that we uh, crave to be filled from people, from pleasures, maybe, maybe powers outside of ourselves. But God is overflowing with satisfaction from all eternity, and no one can offer him anything that he doesn't already have. So that, that's, that's the Father that we have. And in the garden, when we were, when we were uh, in fellowship with God, we were fantastically happy. Amigo Montoya, we were in the garden fantastically happy. The perfect God who made us in this image and we were able to connect with him, to love him, to, to walk with him. We had this, this uh, even though we were made out of dust, we had this connection with God. Um, and we, uh, we ourselves are driven by pleasure and by this desire for happiness, but many of us 
have these wrong ideas about what satisfies, what, what makes us happy. Most of us, many of us anyway, uh, we pursue things that we think are going to bring happiness. And, and we find out pretty much sooner or later, someday, maybe immediately, maybe years down the road, that's not the source of happiness. Um, the rapper, who's that rapper that says, I just want to get my feel, I just want to get that mill. Um, anyway, he just wants to get his first million. Yeah. So we're thinking that first million is going to make him happy. Oh, maybe. Maybe um, enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> How do you do? Uh, I, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom Brady has this famous exchange after his third Super Bowl title. You probably have heard this before, but it's, it's really telling. He's got, he's got five Super Bowl rings now. But after his third, he has this interview on 60 Minutes, and they, there's this famous quote from 2005 where Brady is talking in 60 Minutes and he goes, you know, there are times when I'm not the person I want to be. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and I still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. Um, and I've reached my goal, my dream, my life, but me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27, and what else is there for me? And the, and the interviewer goes, what's the answer? And Brady goes, I wish I knew. Wow. I wish I knew. In 60 minutes, this is recorded. We, we show this at Young Life to, to show how money and fame ain't all what it's cracked up to be in terms of that. Fame doesn't do it. Success doesn't do it. Fitness doesn't do it. Health doesn't do it. Family harmony doesn't do it. Promotion at work doesn't do it. Good grades in school doesn't do it. In terms of bringing happiness and bringing success, the perfect boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, kids, they don't do it. And, and it's not as though you can achieve happiness through more prayer. Um, we're a prayer room. <laughs> I like prayer. <laughs> but, but don't think that coming in here is going to bring, uh, by, by simply putting more hours of prayer, it's going to bring happiness. Uh, or, or more service. If I can just serve, if I can maybe, maybe I'd be happier if I were to go uh, to the extreme uh, outer banks of, of Swahili or whatever and, 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 uh, and serve doesn't do it. More giving doesn't do it. More sacrifice doesn't do it. So, what's the secret? Um, whatever it is, it has to fit our design. It has to fit the way that we were made, the, made, the way that God created us. He made us uh, from the dust, and we have everything that we needed uh, when we were made to thrive in happiness. Um, C.S. Lewis gives us a little bit of uh, help in, in his description of original sin. This is from Mere Christianity. It's really good, uh, and so uh, bear with me. It's a little bit long, but, uh, but it, it explains a lot. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis says, the moment that you have a self at all, there is a possibility of putting that self first, wanting that self to be center, wanting to be God, in fact. That was the sin of Satan, and that was the sin that he taught the human race. Some people think the fall of man had something to do with sex, but that's a mistake. When Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors, what Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could, quote, be like gods, quote, could set up their own, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. That's the key line. As though our original ancestors could invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside of God, apart from God. 
And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call, that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empire, slavery, the long, terrible st story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason it can never succeed is this. God made us. He invented us as a man and vents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That's why it's just no good at asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. That's the key to history. Terrific energy is expended, civilizations are built up, excellent institutions devised, but each time something goes wrong. Some fatal flaw always brings the selfish and cruel people to the top, and it all slides back into misery and ruin. In fact, the machine conks. It seems to start up all right, run a few yards, and then it breaks down. They're trying to run on the wrong juice. That's what Satan has done to us humans. So the key to happiness, the thing that hit me, the thing that you all know already that, that uh, has enlightened me, similar to the loving kindness of God, is holiness. The only way to happiness is holiness. And you let that sit on you a little bit, at least for me, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that, that is so true. That's the secret. Augustine, if I would have read Augustine, maybe I would have discovered this. That was in the 300s AD. Um, he said, God, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. That's, we're not satisfied until we conform to his image. We're not satisfied until we walk in pursuit of holiness. Um, and the scriptures that talk about this, the scriptures that relate holiness to happiness, that they're as plain as day. What, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, seeing a Toyota 4Runner now. I mean, I've got one, so I see them everywhere. And I never even noticed them before, hardly. Um, but, but even in places like the Psalms, there are many all through the Psalms. Psalm 1, how happy, that's blessed, how, how happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and by his and in his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 2, Psalm 1, Psalm 2. How happy are all those who take refuge in him. The, the, you know, that's that's a source of happiness. Psalm 19. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the hearts. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you will go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be like the horse or the mule that have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle will hold them in check. Otherwise, they won't come near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, the loving kindness around, shall, surround, shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, you holy ones. And shout for joy all those who are upright in heart. That's just the Psalms. And then John 15 in the, in the New Testament. If you, Jesus talking, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the commandments, and I, I, uh, my, just as I, says Jesus, have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy might be in you, and that your joy may be made full, when you keep the commandments of the Lord, when you walk in his ways. 
First Thessalonians. Finally, then, brethren, we were talking about this at the, and you brought this up at the staff meeting on Thursday. We request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that just as you receive from us instruction about how you want to walk and to please God, just as you uh, actually do, uh, that you excel still more and more because you know the commandment that we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. God hasn't called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. We are designed for sanctification, meaning we are designed to walk in this holiness. Um, and so, and, and this secret is, is universal. It applies to all seven and a half billion of us, every single one of us. Now, um, no matter where you are, no matter what you are, it, it meets all of our criteria, right? No matter bedridden, healthy, old, young, first era, last era, etc. cetera, um, the, it, the only way to be happy is to be holy. Uh, set apart unto God through Jesus and intent on walking in his ways completely. And when you walk in Jesus in this way, you're cooperating with your own design. Uh, but, but don't turn this into legalism. Uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a religious constraint. It's more like something I I'm, I'm, would claim is more like a law of physics. <laughs> it, it's, it's, not, you know, it's, not a, it's not an add-on in terms of another thing you've got to do. It's inherent in how we were built. It's inherent in how you were made up. And the big thing is, it's not linear. You know, in other words, it, it, it's not like um, you don't get a, a standard unit of happiness for every standard unit of obedience that you walk in. It, it's much more uh, uh, exponential, but even even that's a little little uh, uh, a little different. But um, it's it's you you uh, give up your life, you crucify the flesh. And that last five to ten percent is where is where you have it. it, it in other words, it's it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's what is that a is that a that's an exponential. This is Excel. What this is, is X to the one. That's linear. Okay. Yeah. So it's not linear. It's not X to the one for every input you get an equal uh, uh, and similar output. Um, it's much more exponential. Exponential is, well, okay, I'm just gonna let's, go. Well, let's see that other graph then. Yeah, so this is if you add a huge number in there. What's like, the, uh, what's the X? That's X to the 30. To the third. X to the 30. Oh, oh, even better, yeah. Maybe exponential. Much, much. X to the 100. That's X to the <laughs> <laughs> I have been somewhere. 100% happiness right there. <laughs> so, uh, this is really telling because if that's your, if, if happiness is on the y, the y scale, if happiness is the vertical axis, uh, and the, the percent of obedience is on the x axis, uh, the, the closer you get to one, one being 100% obedience, perfect obedience, you're walking, uh, 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 I should say, you are pursuing. You're actively pursuing 100% obedience. Um, you may you may uh, have an easy time getting up to that 0.8, that 80%. But it's that last whatever, you know, half a percent, two percent, where where things get rough and where where we start to meet our own uh, area. Um, in other words, um, uh, that's the areas that are most entrenched. Uh, it's, it's the things that are closest to your heart. It's the things that you must have in order for you to be you. It's your comforts, it's your escapes, 
It's your, it's the things you've been focused on all your whole life. Look at Peter, uh, the apostle Peter. Um, he uh, is asked by Jesus, who do men say that I am? Some say Jeremiah, some say Moses, some say you're one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? I say you're the Messiah. Peter, flesh and blood didn't give that to you, but my Father in heaven showed you that. You're right, I am the Messiah, don't tell anybody. And I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised again in three days. That will never happen to you. He hit, Jesus hit that last 1%. Peter was okay with Jesus being the Messiah, the one who's going to throw Rome off, the one who's going to actually get Rome out of the picture, the one who's going to give them victory over the oppressors. But once Jesus said, no, the, the way that this works is I'm going to die, I'm going to be uh, crucified, I'm going to be humiliated, and, and then I'm going to be raised three days later. It, it blew Peter's mind. It was hitting his last 1%. Um, that, and your last 1% are the, are the things like, like unforgiveness, like the things where you've made a deal with God, where I will follow you if, you know, as long as, as, long as the following things are, as long as things are going pretty good. Um, uh, and, and Jesus has been putting those, his finger on those things for a while. And in fact, rather than rejoicing who he is, he's having this conversation with you about that last one to two percent all the time. It comes up all the time in, in your prayer time. Um, uh, I want to read um, a section out of my newly discovered C.S. Lewis book, uh, The Great Divorce. We read this on our hike uh, last week. And uh, last week? Yeah, last week. Um, one of the guys brought it, and he would read a few pages each night, and I, I just uh, love it. I never would have recommended um, bringing this book <laughs> on the hike, but it was so good, and uh, it was so wonderful to just sit and hear it each night. Um, and so for those who haven't read this, The Great Divorce is by C.S. Lewis, and it's a story, it's a story, um, and, and not to be taken as scripture at all, but it's a story about what happens when a... Um, uh, a group of uh, spirits from hell uh, get the opportunity to travel to heaven. Um, and they, they get to see heaven, and, and they have the opportunity of making a decision to stay in heaven. Uh, but they're spirits, and, what, and so when they, uh, there's a big deal about getting on the bus, there's a long journey uh, on the bus to leave the area of hell. It's always twilight in hell. They're always just about ready for the sun to go down and become dark in hell. Uh, just just right on the cusp, um, and uh, and people are really really far spread out. There's no fellowship. In fact, nobody can stand being near one another, so they move immediately and move farther and farther out. And it keeps expanding. They had this opportunity to take this bus trip, and so all these people, they're called ghosts, get on this bus and they travel up this huge chasm, over this cliff, and they arrive in heaven. And the and the spirit people, they're solid. They they have substance. But, and the world is subs is, has substance, but where the ghosts try to walk in the world, the grass hurts their feet because uh, they don't have substance, and the, and the grass is kind of like walking on what, what the, the author calls wavy concrete. Um, so our, the main character is a C.S. Lewis type of character. He's interested, he's wondering what it's like um, to actually see uh, heaven, and does anybody actually make the choice to stay here? Because he's seen person after person who leaves, and uh, and on the bus he meets uh, our our main character, 
Uh, he meets this big guy, this big ghost. And we're going to read a little bit about the big ghost's uh, encounter. So they're all in heaven right now. Um, and the big ghost, uh, uh, oh, my, uh, our main character um, uh, gets off the bus and he says, almost at once I was followed by what I, what I have called uh, the big man. Uh, to speak more accurately, the big ghost. So that's, that's the guy who's following him, right? He, in turn, was followed by one of the bright people. Don't you know me? He shouted to the ghost, and I found it impossible not to turn and pay attention. Uh, but he's talking, to, he's talking to the big guy. The face of the solid spirit, that is the person in heaven, uh, he was one of those who wore a robe, made me want to dance. He was so jocund, so established in his youthfulness. Well, I'm damned, said the, said the ghost. I wouldn't have believed it. It's a fair knockout. It isn't right, Len. You know, what about poor Jack, huh? You look pretty pleased with yourself, but what I say is, what about poor Jack? He's here, said the other. You'll meet him soon if you stay. But you murdered him. Of course I did, yeah, but, but it's all right now. But all right is it, it's all right for you, you mean, but what about that poor chap himself laying cold and, death, cold and dead? But he isn't, I've told you. You'll meet him soon. He sends you his love. He sends you his love. What I'd like to understand, said the ghost, is what... What you're here for is please as punch, you a bloody murderer, while well, I've been walking the streets down there and living in a place like a pigsty all these years. Uh, that, that is a little hard to understand at first, but, but it's all over now. You'll be pleased about it presently. Till then, there's no need to bother about it. No need to bother about it? Aren't you ashamed of yourself? Uh, no, uh, I mean, not as you mean. I, I, I mean, I, I do not look at myself. I've given up myself. I had to, you know, after the murder. That, that was what did it for me. And that was how everything began. Personally, said the big ghost with an emphasis which contradicted the ordinary meaning of the word personally. I'd have thought that you and I would be the other way around. That's my personal opinion. Well, very likely we soon shall be, said the other, if you'll stop thinking about it. Look at me now, said the ghost, slapping his chest, but the slap made no noise. I've gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man, and I don't say I had no faults. Far from it, but I've done the best my all I've been, done my best all my life, see? I've done my best by everyone. That's the sort of chap I was. I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by rights. If I wanted a drink, I paid for it. And if I took my wages, I'd done my job. See? That's the sort I was, and I don't care who knows it. Uh, it would be much better not to go on about that now. Who's going on? I'm not arguing, I'm just telling you the sort of chap I was. See, I'm asking for nothing but my rights. You may think you can put me down because you're dressed up like that, which you weren't when you worked under me. And I'm only a poor man, but I've got to get my rights, same as you, see? Oh, no, no, it's, it's not as bad as that. I haven't gotten my rights, uh, or I should not be here. You will not get yours either. You'll get something far better. That's just what I say. I haven't got my rights. I've always done my best. I've never done anything wrong. And what I don't see is why I should be put below a bloody murderer like you. Well, who knows whether you will be? Only be happy and come with me. If they come with a go, if they come with a solid person, they get, they start to get more solid themselves. What do you keep on arguing for? I'm only telling you the kind of chap I was. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. Well, then do at once. Ask for bleeding charity. Everything is here for the asking. Nothing can be bought. Well, that may do very well for you, I dare say, if they chose to let a bloody murderer all because he makes a poor mouth at the last moment. That's their lookout. But I don't see myself going in the same boat as you. See, why should I? 
I don't want charity. I'm a decent man, and if I had my rights, I'd have been here long ago, and you can tell them I said so. The other shook his head. You can never do it like that. Your feet will never grow hard enough to walk on the grass that way. You'll be tired out before you get to the mountain. And it isn't exactly true, you know. Mirth danced in his eyes as he said it. What isn't true, said the ghost, said the ghost sulkily. You weren't a decent man, and you didn't do your best. We, none of us were, and none of us did. Lord bless you, it doesn't matter. There's no need to go into all that now. You, gasped the ghost, you have the face to tell me I wasn't a decent chap. Of course, <laughs> must I go into all that? Well, I will tell you one thing to begin with. Murdering old Jack wasn't the worst thing I did. It wasn't even close. That was the work of a moment, and I was half mad when I did it. But you, I murdered you in my heart deliberately for years. I used to lie awake at night thinking what I'd do to you if I ever got the chance. That's why I've been sent to you now, to ask your forgiveness and to be your servant as long as you need one. And longer if it pleases you. I was the worst. But all the men who worked under you felt the same. You made it hard for us, you know, and you made it hard for your wife, too, and your children. You mind your business, young man, said the ghost. None of your lips, see? Because I'm not taking any imprudence from you about my private affairs. There are no private affairs, said the other. So this, that's... That's, uh, that's one of my favorite stories because here he's encountering this murderer and he, his last 1% is holding on to his own pride, his own, own sense of, I did my duty, I expect my rights, and he's not going to let it go and he ends up not letting it go and he ends up getting back on the bus and going back to hell. Uh, one, more, one more story um, and uh, maybe the worship folks can come up. Um, this is... Uh, this is um, our main character in Encounters, George McDonald, the Scotsman, who had a huge impact on C.S. Lewis, uh, maybe the reason why C.S. Lewis uh, met the Lord. Um, he wrote uh, a bunch of uh, science fiction stories, and the one that C.S. Lewis read uh, was called Fantasies. So I apologize ahead of time for my Scottish accent. Um, but uh, he's asking about, you know, he says, uh, they're having this conversation, they've been talking for a while, and he says, um, but there's a real choice, after, by the way, this is not scripture, <laughs> but there's a real choice after death, right? My, my Roman Catholic friends would be surprised, for to them, the souls in purgatory are already saved, and my Protestant friends would like it no better, for they would say that, as a, uh, that the tree lies as it falls. Well, well, they're both right, maybe. Don't fashion yourself with such questions. You cannot understand the relations of time and choice until you are beyond both. And you were not here to study such curiosities. What concerns you is the nature of the choice itself, and that you can make, that you can watch them making. Well, sir, I said, that also means explaining what do they choose, these souls who go back on the bus and go back. I have yet to see any others. I haven't seen anybody who's chosen this place yet. How, how can they choose it? Milton was right, said my teacher. The choice of every lost soul can be expressed in the words, better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. There's always something they insist on keeping, even at the price of misery. There's always something they prefer to joy, that is, to reality. You see it easy enough in a spoiled child who would sooner miss its play and its supper than say that it's sorry and be friends. Ye call it the sulks. But in adult life, it has a hundred fine names, Achilles' Wrath, and 
Coriantos' grandeur, revenge and injured merit and self-respect and the tragic greatness and proper pride, then is no one lost through just undignified vices, sir, through, through mere sensuality? Well, some are, no doubt. The sensualist Olalai begins by pursuing a real pleasure, though a small one. His sin is the less, but the time comes on when, though the pleasure becomes less and less, the craving becomes fiercer and fiercer. And though he knows that joy can never come that way, yet he prefers to joy the mere fondling of unappeasable lust, and he would not have it taken from him. He'd fight to the death to keep it. He'd like well to be able to scratch, but even when he can scratch no more, he'd rather itch than not. That's the, that's the uh, perspective of our Scotsman. Um, Bickle, Mike Bickle wrote an article that uh, in 2014 is called The Blessing of Setting Our Hearts on 100% Obedience. Here's his paragraph. It's easy to pursue God with an attitude of 98% obedience, keeping the 2% to ourselves. That's when we tell the Holy Spirit that he can have everything except for a few things. For example, when he convicts us for, taking, uh, for talking in a slandering or a gossiping way about someone else, and we ignore that sense of conviction. I want to talk the way that I want to talk. Leave that part alone. Or he speaks to us about an activity in our life, how we're using our time. Holy Spirit, I'm totally yours, but this amount of time, come on, come on, come on, give me some room. Um, God designed us, and our happiness is a matchup to certain inputs. The only way we can be happy is to be holy, is to pursue, and I don't mean to attain, I mean to seek after, to set our minds on pursuing 100% obedience total obedience. Uh, and the great thing about this is that that we have God as our motivation. We also, he's, he's designed us so that we're inwardly, mo inwardly motiv motivated. In other words, we get the benefit of, of being, of actually being happy. And so when we turn and decide to take our own way, we're basically deciding to be miserable. We're actually deciding to be uh, less than happy in that point. Amen. And so it's like perfectly built in. So back to the Declaration of Independence. This man, Samuel, uh, this man, William Blackstone, he lived um, 1765 to 1769. Uh, and he said, um, God has so intimately connected, so inseparably, inseparably interwoven the laws of eternal justice with the happiness of each individual that the latter the happiness of each individual cannot be attained but by observing the former, the laws of eternal justice. That's the way that he made us. And if the former is punctually obeyed, it cannot be, it cannot but induce the latter. This happiness that we're talking about doesn't mean we're free of pain, it doesn't mean that we're free of problems. Um, it means that we're settled in who we're following. It means that our trust is complete. Um, so, um, I want to just ask uh, Amy and, and Carl, if you're willing to come forward and just uh, be here available to pray for folks. And I'm just going to pray over us. And, and uh, but, but I just encourage you to um, come and, and be prayed for. Come and kind of give up that whatever is in that last five percent, whatever is in that last two percent. 
Um, asking for help, asking for prayer. That, that, that's going to be our altar call. Um, already messed up, already screwed up, already intentionally sinned. Um, there's grace. You, you press delete. You start again. You set your heart on 100% obedience. You set your heart on going whole hog after God. That was David's prayer. David, you know, the murderer, <laughs> killed Uriah, had an affair with a married woman, Bathsheba, um, fathered a child out of wedlock, gets confronted by the prophet, and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He was asking for a restoration of the joy that he had in his salvation, even then. So Jesus, I do pray that you, um, again, highlight where you're putting your finger on each one of us, what things you're highlighting, what things that might be in the way of a hundredfold obedience. We want to walk in a way that we are designed to walk. We want to walk in a way that fits the way that you created us. Father, we want to walk in a way that brings happiness. The only way to be happy is to be holy. So Father, even now, we just commit to walking in your way.